Okay. Pete? Pete? Am I on? Okay, thank you. Um, I wanted to just introduce to us the series that we're doing for the next seven weeks. And Justin made comment, it's a commitment series. Now, what is that? Well, let me just uh, put something up on the screen. There's numbers of activities that are involved. There's numbers of projects that we're going to give money towards. But let me just go back to the title because this sums up what the commitment series is about. It's a time each year when I want us to be focused on discipleship and what our mission is as a church. And we're going through, over the next seven weeks, um, some very wonderful material from Luke's Gospel. Uh, It is very stimulating. It's enriching. It's also very challenging. And so I've called the series Living Beyond Ourselves because there's no doubt in my mind that the philosophy of the world is live for yourself. Live for me. Uh, Get as much into your life as you can pay for and you can facilitate. We're in this very hedonistic age where the meaning of life is really summed up in get what you can before you die. And the call of the gospel is exactly the opposite. It says actually, no, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus. And the section of scripture we're going through is a very, very stimulating but strong call to follow the Lord Jesus in mission who came to seek and to save the lost. And I'm going to be challenged by this. I need this series. And that's at the heart of what we're doing, refocusing about what we're about as a church. And the call of the gospel is to live beyond yourself to the Lord Jesus and to give yourself in mission to the world. And so there's a number of things. There's an information pack that's up the back. I'm just going to explain what's in it. Everyone, if you're a regular attender, should get one and it should be addressed. If you can please go and grab that after the service, it saves us having to post them. They're all in alphabetical order. Uh, If your name is not there, please let us know. But there are some blank ones that you can take which has got all the information in it. There's a letter from me. Uh, There's a brochure explaining things, particularly the projects. There's an invite to a special dinner. Now, coming up on the 10th of November, uh, actually the 8th of November, is the 150th anniversary of the first sermon preached by the first minister of St Matthew's. Now, historians debate when... St Matthew's is going to have their 150th anniversary. Is it the first sermon? Is it when the stone was laid for the first church? Is it when they opened the first church? I reckon it's when the first sermon was preached uh, because the church is the people, not the building. And so we will celebrate the building next year and the year after. We're going to celebrate the gospel going out this year. Okay? And two things, there's a special service and there's also a celebration dinner. That's details there for you. The events that are on, Uh, on a little brochure there. I'm going to go through some of them. There's a giving card towards the projects and regular giving and some information about finances here at St Matthew's. But let me just go through some of the things that are on. Seven weekend messages from Luke 15 to 19. Incredible material. Most of this is unique to Luke. So if you read through the Gospels, often you'll find that there are stories that are in Matthew or Mark, they're also in Luke, and we've covered a lot of stuff. But this stuff in particular is really unique to Luke and it has a particular theme about reaching lost people. Secondly, there's Bible studies. If you're not up to speed with that as a leader, we've got some great material in terms of material to follow the sermons as well as leader's notes to help you in preparation. Mike's the person to talk to if you need help with that. Serve Manly. This time of the year, we always try and reach out beyond ourselves. 
We've got a great relationship with the school where we're having great opportunities to reach kids. I want to go over there and bless them and bless the school and show God's love. And so we're going there again to do another Backyard Blitz. The great thing this year, Margaret Lave is organising it. She's got 40 people already signed up. We'd love to see uh, at least that double. It's from 9 to 1 in 13 days' time. They've invited the school to come and be with us. That's a great opportunity to actually meet, mix with and serve alongside families from the school who don't come to church. What a great opportunity. 24 hours of prayer. I keep saying we go forward on our knees in prayer and we're going to mark that and we always do this at the end of the year as we think about next year by coming before God over a 24-hour period. We'd love groups to sign up and come for an hour or more if you'd like. That, details for that will come in the week following. The dinner's on the Wednesday, the 13th of November, and then people commit their gifts and their financial giving for the year ahead on the 20th of November, and the series finishes on the week after. So if I can just encourage you, this is a great time of year as we head towards Christmas, and it's always a very enriching series. Can I encourage you to take your pack up the back and be thinking and be involved with what we're doing as we refocus as a church and think about living beyond ourselves. We're going to read the Bible now. And uh, Ben's coming up. Ben, you are lost. You've been found. I look forward to hearing that. And then I'm going to come up and share the message. Yeah, I was um, definitely lost. Um, I didn't know it. I thought I was the centre of the universe and everybody else was lost. But um, when I was 26-year-old, um, yeah, God opened my eyes and it's been, it's been much better since then, I have to say. So if you can read with me, uh, yes, only 1 to 10, okay, from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go up after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Twenty-nine years ago, I was lost. And in God's grace, uh, he persevered with a kid who'd grown up in church, um, rejected the Christian faith, turned his back on God, and in his mercy he sent people into my life who, for the first time, I understood that Christianity was real. And God saved me wonderfully. On the 14th of October, 1984, at 7am on a Sunday morning, I can remember it to this day, and I'm forever grateful. That is our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who saves lost people. May we be that kind of church 
that vehicle of grace, that message of hope, that extension of love, that this is a place where lost people are welcomed home. In Jesus' name, speak to us from your word today. Amen. I don't know if you know what it's like to be lost. Um, I once got lost bushwalking. It was a weird experience. We knew where we were, but we were lost. Uh, We're on Mount Solitary in the Blue Mountains. Now, if you know Mount Solitary, it's a kind of flat top mountain. It's not very tall. I mean, Australia doesn't really have mountains, to be honest. It's kind of like a hill with the the top cut off. And we wandered round and round, lost, because we couldn't find how to get off the mountain. And it's quite a disorientating feeling when you're lost. You know that you're lost, but yet you can't find where to go. And we ended up being on one side of the mountain lost and we had to retrack our steps uh, right through the night to get home. You may know the story I once mentioned that uh, we had a child who was lost at the Easter show. Uh, We didn't have mobile phones and we didn't know about writing the child's, on the child's arm, your mobile phone number. We didn't have mobile phones. And um, we had a great day we come to the end and we're walking out the gates and I stopped for 60 seconds because there was before me a big tank of barramundi and a fisherman catching them on lures and I was transfixed and my son kept walking and he walked out and we were on the inside and he was on the outside and we didn't know it and everyone is leaving and there are thousands pouring out the gate and security is looking for him and there's just this feeling of emptiness and worry and you think, where is he? Now, in God's grace, we found him. There's a lot of prayers that went up in that hour and he just stood and waited near where the car was for over an hour and a mother found him and reported him to security. It's an awful feeling when someone is lost. And we come to a section in Luke's Gospel which is all about God reaching lost people. If you want to sum up uh, the um, section we're going through, and really Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 19 verse 10 really is a theme verse for the message of Luke's Gospel. And Jesus says about himself in the third person, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And these are the words that are at the end of four chapters of teaching about reaching lost people. If you go back to the beginning of this section, you come to where we are today. And I want you to have a look because this is kind of where this section takes off. As we go on this journey with Jesus to be challenged about reaching lost people, Jesus has gathered a bunch of his friends, the tax collectors and sinners, and they're all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now you don't have to read much in the Gospels to know that the Pharisees were not great fans of Jesus. In fact, uh, he annoyed them to the extent that they wanted to kill him. In other words, they hated him. And there were two particular issues that got right up the noses of the Pharisees. It made them irate. One was that he kept breaking the Sabbath laws, which to them was so significant in terms of what defined how you responded to God and were in a right relationship with God. And Jesus would break them to demonstrate his authority over the Sabbath. They didn't get it as he healed people, as he released people from demons. 
But the other thing that really made them irate was that he hung out with sinners. He hung out with people who were unclean. He hung out with the worst of the worst, the tax collectors. And there's two very significant words here which kind of give us a feel uh, and set the backdrop for what is happening in these four chapters as we journey through. The first is muttering. Now, you mightn't think much of that, but there's a particular word that's used here to mutter or to grumble. And Luke is the only one in the New Testament that uses it, and which is typical of Luke. He's a very educated man, had a very wide-ranging vocab, and he picks up this particular word. Now, it's a word that was used on numbers of occasions in the Old Testament in the Greek form of it. In other words, um, the version that a lot of them read in Luke's day. And the word was used of Israel, the people of God. They muttered. They grumbled. And they muttered and grumbled because Moses, under God, had led them out of Egypt and was taking them on this journey to the Promised Land. But the journey was dangerous, uh, it was unmapped, it was difficult, it required faith. And they grumbled. They felt unsafe. Uh, They were out of their comfort zone. Uh, They were challenged. And they grumbled. And that's the word that the Pharisees use. It's the word that Luke picks up. In other words, nothing's changed. God wants to take us on a dangerous, unmapped, difficult journey. The Lord Jesus wanted to. That dangerous, unmapped journey was one of reaching lost people. And they grumbled. And they grumbled because, note the second word, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the word might not seem very significant to us. Um, You welcome all sorts of people. You probably said hello to someone today. You welcome them. Uh, But the word has far more import in that culture. Uh, In the East today, as it was in the past, a nobleman or woman might feed any number of needy or lesser persons as a sign of generosity. So you would give money, alms, to the poor, is what the old version said. You would provide for them. What you wouldn't do, though, if you're a person of nobility and stature, is you wouldn't have them into your home. Uh, That was unthought of. And so have a look at this quote. It's from a New Testament scholar. He said, To understand what Jesus was doing in eating with sinners, it's important to realise that in the East, even as it is today, To invite a man to a meal was an honour. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood and forgiveness. And so Jesus is not doing what was culturally normative in that day, which was providing for them. You go and feed them over there away from me. Actually, no, he did the opposite. He received them. He welcomed them into his home. That's what got up the noses of the Pharisees. That's what was so outrageous. He wasn't keeping himself pure. There was this sense of spiritual contamination that's going on as he literally invites them to be his friends. Not just provide for their needs. I mean, yeah, you you understand that, but you don't welcome people into your home. Let me say, I don't think it's any different today. Um, I think when we welcome people into our home, 
It is a real sign of peace, of trust, of brotherhood and sisterhood. And if you welcome someone that you've been in dispute with, it really is a sign of forgiveness, isn't it? That you're offering friendship and you're providing not just food, but welcome. You see, the Pharisees, they wanted to judge sinners. Uh, But Jesus' mission, and it becomes so clear, is not to judge them, but to rescue them. Uh, The Pharisees, they wanted to shun sinners. They wanted to exclude sinners. But rather, Jesus wanted to welcome them. He wanted to befriend them. He wanted to receive them. He came to rescue lost people. And so at the beginning of this dispute, he tells three stories, which are all about a response to the Pharisees' attitude of grumbling and muttering about this man who welcomes sinners. We'll look at two of them today. There's a story of a hundred sheep. Then it's a story of ten coins. Then there's a story of one son. We're going to leave that one son until next week. Mike's going to pick it up. But I'd love you to pick up uh, from Luke chapter 15 and let's read together uh, the beginning of this first story. And as you read through, the thing that struck me was this. Um, Jesus will provoke questions in us. Well, at least he provoked questions in me about what is my attitude to reaching lost people? Where is my heart and what are my actions? The first question that struck me is this, the pride question. Do I think I'm better than others? Uh, Pride is a dangerous thing. I think it's a very easy thing uh, to be affected by. And I think particularly as Christians, it's very easy to become proud. God does a work of grace in us and he starts to transform us. And before you realise it, you can start to look on other lost people and not remember what you once were, but look at the difference between who you are and where they're at. And you think, oh, well, I've got my life together. Why haven't they? Jesus starts the first story this way. He tells a parable. Verse 3, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And that mightn't seem very striking to you, but let me just say, um, he's very challenging to the Pharisees. You see, if he was being respectful of the Pharisees and showing deference to their position, he would have begun something like this. Uh, Which one of you having a hundred sheep, Pharisee, uh, if he heard that the hired shepherd had lost one, would he not summon that shepherd in and demand that the sheep be found under threat of fine? You see, the shepherd was an unclean profession. Uh, The shepherd couldn't go to Sabbath and the synagogue. Uh, The shepherd was looked very much down upon. But yet you would have animals, it was how you survived, and families, if they had a large flock, might have, you know, 20 or 30, regular would be 5 to 15. A flock of 100, you would normally have one or two shepherds who would be hired to look after this flock. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, uh, suppose one of you is that shepherd. You can see he's getting under their skin. Suppose one of you is one of these unclean people. Now, what would you do if you had a hundred and you lost one of them? It's a very provocative question. He points the story squarely at the Pharisees. What would you do? 
He's challenging their pride. They really did think they were better than the sinners. Uh, They wanted to separate themselves from them. Uh, They saw themselves as being better educated, done better in life, making better spiritual decisions, more righteous. And I wonder if we are any better in the sense that as people we can think, well, I've made good decisions, I kind of deserve to be where I am. That sense of entitlement. And when we look at people who are lost, we inadvertently can look down on them. We might even feel sorry for them. What we don't feel is one with them. That just as they are lost, we once were lost. And lost people are lost. And God loves them. And that's why Jesus came. And yet, the people of Israel had no stomach for it. And I wonder, do I think I'm better than others? Well, the second question is this, the heart question. Do I really care that people are lost? Do I really care that people are lost? I get to hear a lot of comments from people at church. Uh, One of the ones is, uh, you'll sometimes hear this when people move churches, that church didn't suit my needs. Uh, It wasn't serving me. And I want you just to deconstruct that comment because it's not uncommon. That church doesn't meet... I remember thinking that myself as a young man and I wanted to meet girls my age and there were none that I thought were ones I'd want to go out with, if I can put it quite honestly. And a guy said to me, well, maybe God's put you there so you can reach other people. And I was at a church that had some nice girls. Well, I was looking at this church thinking that'd be nice to go to. There's two churches down the road. And he said, don't come. Stay where you are and serve there. Because there's people who need to be reached there. I don't like the way you do this. You're not meeting my needs. I pay my tithe. You should minister to me and my family the way I want it. Well, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The shepherd knows his sheep. The shepherd knows that one of them is lost. The shepherd cares for that lost sheep so much that he will leave the 99 in the open country. Now, it's a very striking phrase. Uh, The version we've got in front of us says open country. Another version says in the wilderness. He's pointing the parable at the Pharisees. And I think he is very subtly saying, actually, you're the 99 sheep, but you're actually not home. You're in the wilderness. And Jesus says, I will leave the 99 to go and find the one who is lost. Such is the value of that sheep. Such is my concern for that sheep. And it's worth saying that a shepherd having a flock that big, there'd normally be a couple of them. Normal protocol would be that one of the shepherds would take the the sheep home while the other one went and found the lost sheep. You would bring the sheep home, the 99, because they're so valuable. And then you would go and find the one that was lost. But no, Jesus says, actually, no, this is the way I view people who are sinners. 
I will leave the 99. I will go and find the one. Until I find them. Because they are so valuable. I'll even leave the 99 in the wilderness. He's deliberately being provocative. He's saying something to the Pharisees. He's saying something to us. This is how much I love lost people. They are so valuable, I must go and find them. Even if it means leaving the flock in the wilderness to fend for themselves. What does it mean that people are lost? Let's just stop and think about that. Um, The Bible says we're lost in ignorance. I'll read to you from Ephesians 4, verse 18. I'm going to put it in the first person. Um, Or second person. Our understanding is darkened in our understanding. Sorry, we are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in us due to the hardening of our hearts. Paul says, We are lost in our ignorance because we've got hard hearts. That's the reality of the human condition until a person is found and the Spirit of God comes in and we discover Christ. We're lost in ignorance. Um, We're lost in pride. Paul says in Romans 1, 21 and 22, For although we knew God, we neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But our thinking became futile, our foolish hearts, were darkened, although we claimed to be wise, we became fools. Pride is a great enemy of the gospel and it blinds us to God and we become lost. We're lost in our sin. Romans 3.12, again, in the second person I'm reading it, to paraphrase it, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. We've all turned away. We've together become worthless. None of us do good. None of us. That's the reality of the human condition. Outside of Christ, we are lost spiritually. And you see that on the other side because Luke will say in his second volume, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we can be saved. There is no other salvation except through the narrow gate of the Lord Jesus Christ. People outside of Jesus are lost. And they're lost eternally. We're going to come to that in a couple of weeks' time. In a very confronting passage in Luke 16. Because hell is real. Heaven is real. And Jesus is the only way to be saved from hell and brought home to heaven. And you see, we live in a world where we have the numbing effect of our current culture. And think with me about some of the films and the way they portray death. Now, one of the ones that we looked at this year was at Easter time, the bucket list. Do you remember that? And if you've seen the bucket list, it's a very interesting reflection on death in some ways. Jack Nicholson about to die... Morgan Freeman knows he will also die. And so what they do is to make sense of death, they try and fill their life with activity and experiences that they haven't gone through in this life before they die. And so the meaning of life that is portrayed here is that in the face of death, get as much as you can. Go on as many trips as you can, exotic places that you can visit, go and do that. 
and experience as many experiences that you can experience because that will give you a full life before you die. There is no reflection on what happens after death. Meet Joe Black, another movie that came out from Hollywood with um, Brad Pitt. That's the guy, sorry, thank you. The problem is not what happens after death. The problem is death, just that you die. And I think what we end up with is what I'll call the little Bo Peep philosophy of lost sheep. Do you know the nursery rhyme? Little Bo Peep has lost a sheep and doesn't know where to find them, but if you leave them alone, they'll all come home, dragging their tails behind them. And I wonder if that's what we really think is what will happen with people who are lost. The little lost sheep will come home dragging their tails. In other words, they'll kind of find their way there. God will somehow accept them. Yeah, they're lost, but they're not all that lost. It's not the message of the Bible. It's not the message of Jesus. People outside of the Lord Jesus Christ are lost. And he came into this world to seek them and to find them and to bring them home. They won't be all right. We need to be Jesus' hands and feet and reach them. And I find the dictionary definition of lost very helpful here. It means unable to find a way. It means bewildered or helpless. It means ruined or destroyed, physically or morally. And that's why the Bible says we are lost and without excuse. In Jesus' story, the shepherd searches until he finds the lost one because he cares, because he is moved. And that's the heart question. The pride question, do we think we're better? The heart question is, do we really care? Do we really care? The second story sums it up. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And so let me ask you this question as we think about whether we care. Do you really believe what you believe? I heard this phrase this week and I thought it's a good phrase. In other words, do I really believe what I profess I believe? I profess I believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world and that salvation is only found through him. But what does my life actually show? Am I really involved in wanting to reach lost people, or am I? And I'm speaking about me personally, just running a religious club here at St Matthews, to pamper and look after Christians and their children. That's my question. Or are we actually a group of people who have a heart and passion for manly and care about this suburb and want to reach this suburb and want to engage with the people and welcome them in here and spend time with them and open the Bible up with them and share with them about how I was once lost but God has found me and point them to the living Christ that we find in Scripture. Which leads me to the third question, which is the sacrifice question. Uh, will I joyfully sacrifice for lost people? Uh, read on verse 5 and 6. When the shepherd finds the sheep, what does he do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, it's an interesting one. I remember reading this thinking, why does he pick the sheep up? Have you ever thought that? Why doesn't he just get a nice little leash out for, uh, you know, Larry the lamb and 
tie a little rope to it and lead Larry home. And you can have a little chat to Larry on the way home, you know. <laughs> Let me read to you uh, what shepherds in the Middle East have commented about this detail in the story. Shepherds, when asked in the Middle East, said uh, this, a lost sheep will lie down helplessly and refuse to budge. A lost sheep will lie down helplessly and refuse to budge. I had a guy from Yorkshire at 8 o'clock said yes. He's seen the same thing over in England. That's what the sheep in the Middle East would do. In other words, if the shepherd is to bring the sheep back, he must carry it back on his shoulders. It's difficult, it's costly, it requires hard work. But note the language, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. There is no sense of this burden is a burden. This burden is actually a joy as he carries the sheep home. And it brought my mind to the words of Hebrews, where the writer there says about the Lord Jesus himself, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, Jesus is teaching here that the shepherd bears the burden on his shoulders to rescue the lost sheep, knowing full well that he will bear the burden of the world that is lost, on his shoulders as he hangs on a cross. And Jesus carries us on the cross and our sin and the burden of our lostness and brings us home through his death. And Hebrews says it was a joy. And that is so incredible that such a cost to be crucified could be called a joy. And it could only be described that way because Jesus loves us that much and because he wants to honour his Father and glorify him that much that he would willingly endure the cross, scorning its shame with joy before he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the question is very simple for us. Will I sacrifice for lost people? Or do I want to be part of a religious club? Will I sacrifice time and be involved in their lives? Or do I just want the fellowship of the people who I like? Will I sacrifice comfort and reach people who are different to me? Or will I just hang out with people who like me? Uh, will I sacrifice fellowship by not having all my relationships with the Christian people from my small group and from my friendship circle? But will I make sure that I'm knowing and sharing and inviting into my life people who don't know Christ, who are different from me, who are on the outside? Uh, will I actually give money towards the search and rescue operation of finding lost people? Do I actually believe Jesus' words, store up treasure in heaven, not in this world? Do I believe what I believe? Some people kind of grumble at this time of year because we talk about money. I think it's a great thing to talk about. We have the opportunity through giving to be partnering in mission. There's a video which we haven't seen yet. And uh, I'm gonna, can I get it to show now? I forgot to put it on earlier. It's the APRID video. Um, this is one of the reasons why you should give at this time of year. 
This is a ministry reaching Islamic people. We had Bishop Belinda Bagabo here, Alexis, come and speak and we wanted to partner this time of year with a mission agency that we're partners with and have a look at this project because it's one of the projects we're giving money towards. Let's have a look and be encouraged. We are so grateful uh, for welcoming us and uh, the fellowship has been uh, immensely has been a great blessing to me and uh, hopefully uh, also uh, our being together has been a blessing to each one of you. We are very grateful for your financial support to uh, APRI, the full world share and it means a lot to us because uh, it means uh, evangelism to be supported. We have four evangelists which uh, will go to uh, minister to Muslims, uh, but also uh, seminars, uh, teaching seminars where we disciple the, those uh, Muslims who come to Jesus. They need to be nurtured, to be supported, to be helped, to grow in faith, and in return, uh, they go also to witness. Uh, so we, we are so grateful uh, this support will uh, help greatly this ministry. Uh, in addition to that, also we have to provide support to uh, women and children who uh, who are cut off from their families simply because they have become Christians. So sometimes we have to pay school fees and we have to uh, meet various needs and to equip them to be able to earn a living. So we are so grateful that you, you have enabled us, you have supported us, enabled us to continue this wonderful ministry. May God bless you. Will we joyfully sacrifice for lost people? That's just one of the projects that we're involved in this year. And it's a great project because we can sponsor evangelists reaching Islamic people and care for them when they are coming into the fellowship of God's people. Um, the Surf Lifesavers are a great example for us, I think. Um, all of us see them. All of us love having them there. They train for hours for one purpose, to rescue people when they are lost in the surf. And I see them when I go out surfing, uh, see them training. And I love them being there because their dedication means that they are ready and they sacrifice so that they can serve. And they should be a great model for us at one level because we should be sacrificing all that we have so that we can give to those who are not yet found. Which leads me to the last question, um, which is this, um, the friendship question. Will I welcome lost people into my friendship circle? At the centre of the story of the lost sheep is actually when the friends and neighbours are called together. There's 99 sheep at the beginning of the story, 99 righteous people reflected on at the end. At the beginning of the story, he talks about the lost sheep that he searches for it. As he gets to the end, he finds it. He rejoices in finding it. He then calls others to rejoice with him. And what is right at the centre, and this is typical of Middle Eastern storytelling, the whole story swings off this hinge. He calls his friends and neighbours together. You see, it's not enough that he just finds the lost sheep in the wilderness. It's that he brings the sheep home and rejoices in the community of God's people at finding the sheep with the sheep there. 
And we're going to see the same thing with the lost son. You see, what is central is the restoration of lost people to the family of God's people. It's not enough that we go out and tell people about Jesus and that they make professions of faith. We actually must encourage them to come back and be part of the fellowship and we must rejoice and welcome them in. And it's why this church must never be a club for Christians. It must always be a hospital for sinners. As we welcome people in and help people grow in their faith and continue to reach out, I wonder, will you welcome lost people into your home, into your church, into your group, into your friendship circle, into your home? You see, the twist in the story at the end is this. Heaven is rejoicing over lost sinners who are found. Are you? I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Today, ask yourself the pride question, do you deep down think you're better than them? Ask yourself the heart question, do you really care that people are lost? Ask yourself the sacrifice question, am I prepared to sacrifice so that we can reach them? And ask yourself the friendship question, will you welcome them in and make them your friends? Let's pray. Father, as we start this journey through these great stories that challenge us to live beyond ourselves, Father, we pray that you would break our hearts and break our pride and put in its place a heart of compassion and love and a desire to reach out, a willingness to sacrifice so that we might be following in the Lord Jesus Christ steps who came to seek and save that which was lost. Give us that heart, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.